Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You're about to meet one of the great pitchers back from the 1960s. If you were around at that time and a baseball fan, you know Denny McLean. He was the last pitcher to win 30 games or more during a season. He finished 31-6. and six. I can't imagine anybody doing that again. What an honor it is. Denny, thank you for joining us today. i got to ask you, the way baseball goes now, and I'm sure you watch games and so forth, you think you might be the last of the 30-game winners? Oh, I don't think anybody can win 30 again. I, uh, I can't imagine. There's one thing about winning a lot of games. You have to be there at the end of the game. You can't trust people, especially if you're really on a great roll. If you trust somebody to carry the ball for you uh, without finishing the game, you're going to lose probably a third to a half of those games. You won't get the loss, but the the guy that came in after you probably would. And uh, there's just no way. I I mean, i got to tell you something else, too. Whether you can go six innings or nine innings or whatever, man, I tell you, you've got to really be lucky. And uh, I was certainly lucky. I I played, first of all, with some of the greatest players in history, uh, Norm Cash, Bill Freehan, Dick McCullough, Mr. Kaline, uh, Mickey Stanley, who played shortstop in the World Series, for God's sakes, and then Willie Horton and Gates Brown. Um, Those are the guys that, uh, you know, when I needed a run in this, you know, because back then, pitchers hit, and... Yeah. The key was to be ahead in the seventh inning. I, I always tried to concentrate on just staying ahead until the seventh inning because I didn't want to be pitched for, pinch hit for. So um, that's one thing I always used to talk to Mayo Smith, our manager, about. And uh, Mayo was pretty good with that. Every once in a while, he would shock everybody and lead me into a game that I was either tied or maybe run down. And uh, it was uh, just one thing. It was miraculous. Uh, And the the crazy thing is I had five non-decisions. Think about that. Three of them uh, were uh, the first three. My first three starts in 68 were uh, 0-0, 1-1, and 2-2. And uh, John Warden, who was our left-handed relief pitcher, uh, and I had pitched anywhere from seven to ten innings in those three ball games. And uh, John Warden came in, and believe it or not, he was the first relief pitcher in history uh, that had something to do with three wins in his major league de- debut. Wow. It was it was unbelievable. And I see John now all the time, and he starts all of the things that he's talking about, uh, which is kind of funny. He says, oh, my God, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. We really appreciate it here. I guess you do know that Denny McLean and I, when 
34 games together. <laughs> you know, when you watch baseball nowadays, and you see what's happened to the state of pitching, the only way you get a complete game now pretty much is if you throw a no-hitter. I mean, that's the only way these guys do it practically. It must really shock you. Do you think this is better for the game, this reliance on relief pitching? Because when you pitched, it was you and Lowlich and then guys all across the league, and you knew each team had at least one that would throw a number of complete games. Yeah, this is not the game of baseball. I mean, yeah, it's close. It's a ball. It's a glove. It's a bat. But it isn't playing the game. Fundamentally, they don't play the game well. And now I'm talking about my guys here in Detroit. We got people that haven't hit a cutoff man all year. Uh, we've got guys who don't know what the word B-U-N-T stands for. Um, it, it's unbelievable because I've always said if a guy can just lay down a bunt somewhere between third and the pitcher, he'd hit 400. I, I just don't get it. They do the shift. The way I look at it, it seems like, you know, when we were kids, we used to play a game called right field out because we would only have two or three, four guys playing. And we'd split up the four guys, two on one team, two on the other, and it made for a long afternoon but a lot of fun. And you could not hit the ball to right field. If you hit it to right field, you were automatically out. And uh, that's what it reminds me of. The uh, idea that everybody has to be shifted on is crazy. My father-in-law, who was Lou Boudreaux, Hall of Famer, I was married uh, to Sharon 51 years. She passed away a short time ago. I got to tell you something. Boudreaux taught me an awful lot about the fundamentals of the game. And he just, um, he used to shake his head. Now, this is before the pandemic and everything else. Mm -hmm. He would just shake his head. Why can't they bunt? Why can't they do this? I said, Lou, please. I mean, there's, there's no way. Let's go to the racetrack. Okay, let's go. <laughs> when you pitched, nobody had heard about the word analytic, right? I mean, how right. did you prepare for a game? You know, you didn't look at uh, 20 pages of uh, printout. How did you prepare? I had my own notes. Uh, after you go through the league a couple of times, uh, whether it be one year or two years, you knew everybody. Uh, there's also a basic rule. Most Left-handed hitters are low-ball hitters, period. And most right-handed hitters are high-ball hitters. So whenever I got into one of those situations where a guy could beat me, uh, if I had a base open, I'd put that son of a gun on first base and then pitch to the next guy. That's the way the game was played back there. There was, there was so much more interest in, in with the fans, especially the fans, because the fans know what the hell they're going on, most of them. When our manager would make a bad move, and he would uh, go a little nuts, Mayo, yeah. uh, I loved him. I just loved him. Uh, Mayo would say, hey, do something different. You'd go up there, and you'd try And that was his order to put the ball in play. Well, now, let's talk about your relationships with some of these managers. Cause he, Mayo Smith, uh, that obviously worked. You also uh, worked with the Williams, you know, Ted Williams, and then, of course, Dick Williams and so forth. What were those relationships like? I know it's always kind of special to have some of these managers, and you went to some of these big names, but they weren't all necessarily successful. How did you deal with them all? Well, with Ted, I played in Washington for a year. Uh, that was uh, hell. 
Ted uh, Ted just wasn't equipped to handle 25, 30 guys. Every time somebody made an out, he'd start shaking his head. Oh, my God, he'd say. <laughs> oh, my God. Or, or he's, he used strong, strong language that I can't use here, uh, but language that you can't imagine. I, I mean, it was... Oh God Almighty! It made us all all uh, kind of uh, look down and and uh, you know go see him, make sure he's all right. I mean, at one time I thought he was sick mentally, and I don't say that lightly, but um, he wasn't. But he just had no idea of the game. There is something to be said about a guy like him. The guy could hit, still hit. In batting practice, the guy could still hit, and I mean hit. He was one of those guys. He was just—he should have been a player for forty years, um, and I'm sure that when he retired, he probably wanted to play more. But uh, you think it's one of those cases where he hit so well and was—you know—had just amazing skills that he, he couldn't understand that other people just simply didn't have those, that, those skills. Yep, I'll tell you a quick story. Ted wrote a book uh, sometime that year in 72, I think it is, and 71 or two. Uh, Ted, on a Wednesday, I'll never forget this. On a Wednesday, he said, everybody now has a book on your locker, in your locker, and uh, tomorrow or the next day, we're going to have a little meeting. We're going to talk about the book. Uh, yeah, I talk a great deal about pitchers. And, I mean, I hated hitters, and he hated pitchers. <laughs> so what happened was, um, two days later, he calls a team meeting outside in the dugout in Washington and starts talking about the book. And, and the first question he asked was, how many people read the book? And almost every hand went up except one. And the guy's name was Dick Billings. He was a part-time catcher, part-time outfielder, part-time first baseman. You could put him anywhere. And I used to tell him, I said, we put you all over the field. You can't play dead. He, um, uh, as the meeting was taking place, he kept us out there before the game. We did. He didn't even let us have batting practice. So our guys who were handicapped anyway, um, we had this big time meeting, and Ted is talking about hitting and hitting and hitting. And he catches Billing, Dick Billings, uh, the guy I'm talking about. And Dick was whispering to me, and uh, we were roommates. And uh, something about uh, he said, "I got to ask him this question." I said, "What are you going to ask him?" I'm going to ask him about. Prowess. Okay, let's do that. So about uh, five minutes later, after Ted had seen us talking, he said, oh, you two guys again, huh? And I and I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He said, Billings, get up here with your 180 batting average. Let's talk. He says, Ted, I just have one question for you. We don't need to talk now, but I have one question for you. And, that, and he said, go ahead, Dick, what is the question? He said, if I buy a book tomorrow from a surgeon, two days later, am I a surgeon? Oh, my God. Dick didn't play for 45 days. 
Wow. He held a bit, Ted held a bit of a grudge, huh? Oh, my God, did he ever. Let's talk about a couple of interesting seasons, 1967 and 68. In 67, it was this great pennant race in the American League. There was four teams in it right to the last week. Yep. That last month, you weren't able to pitch, uh, and you took a lot of heat from that. Was that kind of a really difficult season as you look back? Well, until I got hurt, it was. Um, it wasn't, but uh, uh, listen, I, I admitted it then. It was my fault we didn't win it because I couldn't pitch because I had 17 wins going into December. And um, everybody, I mean, I mean, even guys that never written a column had an opinion. We didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have anything like that. And yet, somehow or other, all this, all this mail got to me, especially in the clubhouse. I was getting 100 pieces a day at least. And uh, and what I would do is I'd just sign them and send them back, regardless <laughs> of, of what they said. Uh, but 67 was a very tough year. During the winter that, that uh, year, Jim Campbell, the president and general manager of the club, tried to trade K-Line and me together to the Minnesota Twins. That would yeah. have made 68 a lot different. <laughs> oh, man, what a difference it would have made. Uh, so every trade they tried, they wanted to get Zylo Versailles at shortstop, yeah. and they wanted a, there was a left-handed hitter, I can't think of his name, hit a lot of home runs. They wanted him so bad, uh, but they want, Detroit wanted four players for me and K-Line. I mean, Minnesota did. Yeah. And uh, Jim Campbell, being as uh, cheap as he is, <laughs> thank God, by the way, uh, <laughs> he wouldn't let us go unless they gave him the four players. We, yeah, so, we never got out of yeah, it. And the fans of the Tigers are really happy about that. So 68 rolls around. You get you're on a roll, an incredible roll. When did you start thinking about 30 victories? Because really. No, up until that, for you know, decades, nobody really thought about right. thirty. Well, what happened was at the All Star break, Mayo Smith came up to me jokingly and said, uh, "You're going to win 30? I said, "What are you talking about? I've already got that confirmed." <laughs> and he laughed his butt off, and uh, as everybody knows, you know, you're just saying and, and joking. So when I hit 20 on the last day of July, it was absolutely ready to go. I mean, then I could see it. I could feel it. And, um, you know, uh, September 14th, we won the 30th ball game um, and won the pennant and won the World Series. I remember that game because you were, I was an Oakland A's fan as a little kid. I remember watching that. You know, it was just one of those seasons where they played one of their best games of the season. They did everything, and you still and you still got them. That's just one of those years you must look back and say, "Boy, that was terrific." I mean, just everything was going right. Yeah, it really was. Um, the guys who were performers, guys that were producers, they did it that year. Willie Horton, K Line, especially um, freehand and Cash, some of these guys I've already named, mm -hmm. uh, they, every time that our ball club seemed like, we, I think we had 42 or 44 games uh, after the seventh inning we won. And um, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, 
And I can tell you this, in most games, I would always try to hold the other club uh, for five innings, six innings, and let my guys score a run or two. Because when you score a couple of runs right away, you eliminate the steal. Uh, you're going to get more double plays because the guy has to stay closer to first base and all the other things that go into fundamental baseball. And uh, that's exactly what happened. My And my roommate, uh, who was uh, Ray Euler, uh, Ray Euler was a shortstop all year, and uh, Ray said to me after I'd won, I think it was 19, and he said, I'm going to make a bet. I said, who are you going to make a bet? I said, nothing's legal. He says, oh, no. He says, I got a good friend of mine over in London. They take any bet. And uh, I, I quickly inquired. I said, how much you got to bet? Whatever you want. And uh, so we, we'll go on the next trip, and he's trying to get me to bet in London. And uh, I, I never did. It was just... Uh, I knew that was trouble, I can yeah. tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That would not have been good. Well, you know, sure. there was a famous pitch, though, I want to talk to you about, with or the famous at bat with Mickey Mantle, which was incredible yeah. that year. What, what made you decide to do that? I mean, uh, you know, you... You told him I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this down the pike because he, he could hit, I believe well it was number 500 right? Yep, Steve. He was my idol, my hero, my everything. I I wore number seven in high school for four years. I just admired the guy. He, you know what? He looked like a baseball player. Yeah. Um He looked good all the time. He knew what he was doing. Fundamentally, he could do anything you wanted him to do. He was uh, when I first got in the big leagues. Uh, he, Mickey, uh, was still a great outfielder, knee, bad knee or not. Uh, he hustled himself, and I think uh, had he been able to take care of the knee the way they do today, um, I think uh, he'd have probably stayed in the game another four or five years. But the last couple of years uh, against him, uh, he was limping very bad. But when it came to that game, I had already won 30. He came up with two outs in the eighth or ninth inning. And uh, I yelled down to him. I'll give you a short version. I yelled down to him, and I said, where the hell do you want the ball? And he put his hand out over the plate. I threw two 60-60 mile-an-hour fastballs, two of those. He took them both. Now I got him strike two, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I just should strike this guy out. I just, uh, I said, this is crazy. Why doesn't he swing? So I yell one more time. I said, are you going to hit the ball, or what are you going to do? And he put his hand across the plate again, a little bit more tight, and he hit a foul ball that had to go nine miles. So I, know, I knew he was keyed in because it was over the right field area. Uh, so I threw the next pitch 60 miles an hour, belt high, and he hit it out of the ballpark. Our ball, our ballpark at the old Detroit Tiger Stadium, uh, you could hit it completely out of the ballpark. Uh, we had a, it's, uh, this sounds a lot easier than what I'm going to say. Our right field wall was 310 feet, and, and it ran across about almost half if not a little bit more, of the wall in the ballpark. Wow. So he hits this home run, and I mean, he just smoked it. 
and um, he hits first, and now the fans are standing up, giving him a standing ovation. Um, the players have all stopped, and everybody's got their hands up for the high fives and things like that. And he crosses home plate, and he starts to walk towards me, which would have been the worst sin in the world. I, I started to go behind Donnie Wirt at third base because I do not want to talk to Mickey in front of all these people. Because I was up 6-1, to one, by the way. He couldn't hit a six-run homer. So the next thing that happens is he uh, hollers at me, thank you, thank you, thank you, that type of thing. And then he, at the end of the ball game, he came over and uh, thanked me again in the clubhouse. Yeah, that's the thank you I didn't want in the clubhouse. But, you know, the the guy who hit after him, didn't he uh, tell you, like, hey, I want it in the same place? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he says, give me the Mickey Mantle gopher pitch, too. You know, I'm a friend of yours. He says, we go to dinner every time you come into New York. Da, da, da. He went on for, like, uh, two minutes, and he's standing in the batter's box. And I said, get in the box. Let's go. We want to go home. And uh, he jumps in the box, and he says, no, you got to throw me one of those. I deserve it. I'm your friend. I couldn't believe what Joe Joe Pepitone was saying. All of a sudden, I said, you know what? I don't think I've smoked anybody today. I said, I don't think I came close to anybody. I'm going to come close. And I threw the fastball right behind his head. We're all, when I let the ball go, everybody started screaming. They could see where the ball was going. And, I, and I'm the guy who screams first. Duck, Joe, Joe, get down, move. And uh, he got out of the way. His hat went up the, th- no, his bat went up the uh, third baseline. His hat went up the first baseline. And as you probably know, Joe wore a toupee. The next thing that happened was a little windy that day. Hit for some reason with, with his fall, trying to avoid being hit, his toupee came loose. <laughs> Listen, I see this picture every day. And uh, his toupee, Landed on the chest protector. Back then, umpires had the chest protector out, was not under the uniform. And uh, the the uh, toupee wound up on the chest protector of the home plate umpire. And it was just blowing in the wind, just <laughs> blowing in the wind. And uh, he said, what did you do that for? He said, you almost killed me. I said, well, I wanted to kill you, I'd kill you. And I, he said... Uh, well, geez, now give me one of them. I'll I'll go along with you. I said, yeah, okay. So I threw him three fastballs up, the worst pitch in the world for him. We struck him out and game over. You talk about that and, and throwing a you know really tight inside. Nowadays, there's fights all the time, but in your day, that was just part of the game. And, of course, you had to go at bat, so you had to fight back and have those things. But when somebody needed to be brushed back, that was just accepted, wasn't it? Listen, if you hit my guy, I'm going to hit your guy. But the 68, it got pretty nasty. Um, Everybody was thrown at everybody. Um, Not that you wanted to hit him because, you know, you're putting a guy on base. But uh, just to show him that you're not afraid of him and you're not intimidated. And uh, regardless of what the rules are, you want to do what you want to do. And um, that's that's what was going on in... um, there were certain teams I would never throw at because they were so easy. Uh, there were certain teams that really had good teams. 
uh, including at that time the Baltimore Orioles had a hell of a team. Boston had a hell of a team. And uh, those were the guys that would probably get knocked down once in a while. Uh, I just hated to hit the guy. That's all. It's um, yeah. I didn't want to hurt anybody. And uh, I think for as we look back on it, I don't think I hurt any. Oh, I well, I take that back. I hurt one guy, Boog Powell, because he he was hitting about three thousand off me, and um, I yelled down the Boog. I said, "You won't do it this time." And I threw a fastball in on his hands, broke his wrist. Oh no, I wasn't even a, I wasn't even sad about it. So that's okay, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, more with former pitching great Denny McLean in a moment. In 1968, Denny had one of the greatest seasons a pitcher ever had, with a record of 31 and six, a 1.96 ERA, 280 strikeouts, 28 complete games, and six shutouts. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. Hi, this is Andy Martello, Las Vegas entertainer, award-winning author, voice of the Las Vegas Aviators, and generally tired human being. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-430-7923. That's 800-430-7923. Holy gentle giants dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt, that's what you do. It's not your fault. It's the economy. And guess what? 
If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-284-1349. 800-284-1349. That's 800-284-1349. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with former Detroit Tiger pitcher Denny McClain, who is celebrating the 55th anniversary of his 30th win in 1968. I want to talk to you about the book you wrote. One of the most honest books I've seen, and I've read a lot of sports books, I told you I wasn't perfect. Was that, first of all, just the idea when you were going to write that, you go, you know what, I'm not going to hold anything back, I'm not going to make this a PR piece, I'm just going to tell the truth? Yeah, that was... uh... That was the basis of how we started. Uh, we we uh, put up exactly what we wanted to put up. We had um, uh, clearance approval. Uh, they really worked with us, uh, the, the publisher. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we have a tentative deal uh, with a, a film producer producing company in L.A. And uh, we're waiting on some paperwork again, but... Uh, it's going to, I'm told it's going to go into production in January or February. It, it, it's made for the film, I got to say, because, you know, you, you, your career was just so interesting with highs and lows. Everybody knows about the association with gamblers. How did all that stuff really come about? And as you look back, what would you do differently? Well, the only thing I really bet on once in a while was uh, basketball, the uh, college and the pros. Uh, because I, as a baseball player, knew more than everybody else did. Yeah, sure. Uh, somebody asked me, um, the guys that I was betting with, he said, why don't you ever bet baseball? I said, I don't know anything about it. The guy would look at me, he said, but you bet all winter long with the basketball. I said, not the baseball. I said, there's, a, there's another reason, too. I said, we just aren't allowed to gamble. Uh, I said, but I do not know how, at that point in time, to really bet baseball, despite all the good pitchers. The problem, if, if Louis Tiant was pitching against Mickey Wolich, and uh, Tiant is big-time favorite, and I was just scared to death. I mean, I, I didn't want to lose any money to something I knew very little, if not nothing, about. And... Um, Somebody once asked me, he says, how much money did you win on the game today? I said, I didn't bet anything. I mean, yeah. our clubhouse had a lot of guys betting, by the way. Uh, but but they did, um, they went to the racetrack, more or less. Uh, There's nothing illegal about that. So um, we would have some meetings out there. It used to be DRC here in Detroit, Detroit Racing Club. And, uh, of course, those, those racetracks are gone. It seems like all the sinful stuff is gone. Then we now have about 20 casinos in Michigan. And you, remember, you know what the rule is? The owners 
aren't allowed to own a casino? Well, our owner here in Detroit, Mrs. Illich, because Mike died a few years ago, uh, and Mrs. Illich is the president, 100% owner of a casino here. Well, what do you think about sports in Las Vegas? you got hockey and football where you're eventually going to get probably basketball and baseball. Is that something you could have ever imagined back when you were pitching, that there'd be a team in Las Vegas? No, I couldn't because, number one, um, the town was so small. The airport was really small back then. Uh, we used to go out there. When we were flying out either to L.A. or Oakland, uh, once in a while, we would ask the uh, charter guys with United to uh, park overnight in Vegas so uh, we could all go to the casino and or see a couple of shows, whatever it might be. I think in my career, it probably happened a half a dozen times at least. Really? And uh, it was fun, just plain fun. Um, and then the commissioner found out about it, and he uh, sent a letter that, was not becoming of our standards for life, <laughs> to say the least. And that was the that was the general at the time, you know, Eckert, Pat Dobson, who had a nickname for everybody, um, said, "Well, I don't know what to say, but let's not bother him because he's been sleeping the last three years. He's going to sleep again this year. Leave him alone." So we never responded to his letter. Well, you know, the whole idea of gambling and stuff, do you think, and, and a, as you say, a lot of athletes have been caught up with it. You think it's because most athletes love the adrenaline and getting excited, and it's just a, another activity that kind of brings that out of you? Yes and no. Um, I'll tell you, um, and of course, they can go do that every day now. Um, they can do anything that is technically legal. And I just don't get it. That's all. I don't. We got 20 casinos in Michigan now. I mean, all you got to do is plan your trip on how many uh, times you're going to get out of the car and use the bathroom. You could do them all in three days, four days. And uh, I don't understand why Mrs. Illich continues to own a casino. Uh, And she bought the last half recently. As far as the players go, they're not going to bet with few exceptions, guys I know who bet a lot of money, but some of them are making $25 million a year. I mean, look at um, uh, the golfer, Phil uh, Nicholson. Right. I mean, Phil went broke over gambling at one time. Uh, he owed some guys in either Vegas or New York tons and tons of money. Pete Rose owed the, the guys in New York 600000 when when the poop hit the fan. Well, and then let me ask you, when you see what's happened to Rose, and you know, we all know Rose's statistics and so forth, do you think the league is being disingenuous with the Hall of Fame, uh, keeping him out of the Hall of, the Hall of Fame, or do you think, no, that's appropriate? You know what? This is what I'm thinking is going to happen. He'll never get in the Hall of Fame while he's alive. He probably will the year after he dies. That's what I think. That, that's really to punish him, then, is what that amounts oh, to. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's still not allowed to participate in baseball festivities. In other words, if uh, the Chicago Cubs want him to make an appearance, he can't go out in the field and uh, allegedly, uh, you know, give away bats or balls or 
they got a they got a Pete Rose rule, and it's that you can introduce him, you can bring him down in the field, and that's all. And Pete's a great guy. I mean, I'm sorry he did what he did, mm-hmm. uh, but you know we all make mistakes. Yeah. Final thing: Do you watch baseball pretty close, and do you go out there a lot? You have friends uh, still in the game, or have you kind of gotten away from all that? Well, most of our guys on our team are dead. I mean, it's unbelievable how many guys are gone. As far as uh, friends, yeah, John Warden and uh, some of the guys, some of the other guys I see. Uh, I suppose of all the guys on the team, with the exception of Warden, K-Line was probably my best friend. And uh, we would try to do shows together. We'd get together and that type of stuff. And uh, when he died, that was quite a... We knew he was sick because Al, up until about a year before he died, used to play golf almost every day, uh, with the exception of the days that he was in Michigan. Because he had a he also had a home in uh, Lakeland, Florida, and he played every day. Every day he'd hit balls. He'd play golf. Uh, not much of a gambler, but he loved the game. And when he when he died, it was this town was was chilled. I mean, it was unbelievable because he'd been Mister Tiger for twenty some years. You know, growing up watching American League baseball, he was one of those few guys where. You realize when you were watching him, this is a real superstar, and, and he wasn't yes. a flashy guy or anything, just right. very, very good. All the years I played with him, I played, ten, I think, nine or ten with him, and lo and behold, I never saw him miss a cutoff man. The Tigers today, if they hit two cutoff men in a row, it's a miracle. The K-line never missed a cutoff man. His throws to second base were... 99% right on. And uh, he was just one of those guys who had all of the ability. You know, he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, uh, but he hustled uh, as compared to Cabrera. This jerk uh, refuses, refuses to run to first base when he hits the ground ball. And recently uh, was watching the Tiger game for a couple of innings. It's 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 painful to watch the whole game, and uh, sitting there and Cabrera does his shtick, whereby he just wimps down the first base. Guess what happened? What? The ball went through the legs of the second baseman. He rolled about ten feet behind him. He ran over there, got the ball ten feet from him, and still threw him out. Wow. And that stuff was just unacceptable when you played, right? I mean, regardless of how good you were. Absolutely. You could, you, we weren't even allowed to, like they do now, before the game, you know, they hobnob, they, they have some conversation or what have you. If we were going to talk to a guy or wanted to talk to a guy, we would uh, have dinner or lunch with him the next mm-hmm. day or two days later. Um, it, it was fun. It was, it was just a, a different, different environment. And we played the game better. The pitchers today are no faster than we were. Uh, we had, um, I can't think of the ding-dang name. Somebody said it was Delphi, but I'm not, I don't think so. Somebody came down from uh, Saginaw, Michigan, with some kind of a, a radar gun, speed gun, 
And um, this was in 1968, as a matter of fact. And um, they asked if we would come out. Here's the kicker, though. They asked if we'd come out and throw uh, against the gun. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm having a pretty good year. And then the guy said, well, we'll give you five grand, all of you. I said, wait a minute, five grand to come down and throw? Yeah. He, said, <laughs> he says, yeah. I said, is it just 5000 for the four of us, or is it 5000 each? He said, oh, no, it's 5000 each. I said, I'll be there. <laughs> $5,000 back then was Big a money. fortune. Yeah. <laughs> One last thing, and i got to ask you, as I was getting ready for this interview, I was excited because you know, I grew up watching you and so forth, and... For some reason, my wife and I were watching an old Ed Sullivan in one of those classics, and there's oh Denny McLean and, and Bob Gibson. <laughs> You're playing the organ, Gibson's out there with the guitar. You look like you really had fun with that, and how did you ever get on the Sullivan show? Well, I'm a keyboard player. I've got a uh, degree in music. And, um, uh, you know, once you, hit, once you hit something real successful, everybody wants you on their show. And uh, we got a call, and he, uh, uh, Mr. Sullivan's uh, agents uh, asked us to come on. And, of course, the question was, um, I mean, nobody really needs Ed Sullivan unless you're going to get paid, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I uh, very carefully, I said, I assume there's a stipend. He said, oh, yes, by all means. I said, we'll give you ten grand apiece to appear. I said, what? <laughs> I said, I want to, can I do a month with you guys? <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's his name? Uh, Gibson comes out. We had, we'd already played a couple. T- and uh, Gibson comes out to join us. And he, he wouldn't talk to us before the game. He was still peeved. Yeah. <laughs> he was still upset he lost game seven. And uh, I said to him before we went out, I said, what song do you want to play? He said, uh, I'm just going to uh, get in the key of uh, uh, C, and you guys just follow me. I said, are you talking C-E-G? He said, yeah. I said, I've never heard of that song. He says, it's not a song. It's three chords. And then he went out there. We had, remember I said, in the key of C. When he started, you know, we're waiting for him to, to start. And lo and behold, when he does start, he's in the key of F. So we had a scramble. Oh, man, it, it was It's just fun watching you guys. And it, it, what you said, it goes back to what you were saying of how serious people took the game. Him and his teammate, Bill White, they get mad. If they, it, they'd throw at people. I mean, they took that seriously. They did not believe in being friends and joking around with the other team. And uh, I don't know. There was a certain, as a fan, you loved it because, hey, these guys care as much as I do. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, we kind of had the same attitude uh, in 67 when we almost won it. We lost it by half a game. And uh, it was just, it was the conduct back then. We were not allowed to for, uh, be in the fraternity. Yeah. We were a baseball player, every one of us individually that belonged to a team. And that's the way it was told to us every spring training. And then once during the season, normally. And um, it was just a different time. 
And I mean, the commissioners enforced that rule uh, because the umpires, uh, who were just starting to make real money, uh, did not want to give that position up because they saw guys fraternizing and they didn't do anything about it because the umpire would go too. They'd get rid of him. Denny McLean, what a great time. I would love to have you on again. Hope we can do this some other time again. But uh, thank you for sharing uh, those great memories with us. Yeah, and I'm sorry about the, the times that we tried to do this. It's uh, um, We're getting ready to go back on the road, and we're um, just, uh, we want to get out there and do our thing, see everybody again. Yeah. And uh, have some great meals around this country. Well, that is great. If you ever get down to Las Vegas, we would love to see you there. And We're coming out there. I think we're coming out there in November. Oh, terrific. Well, hopefully I can come by and say hi and uh, let us know about the uh, movie because that's going to oh, be yeah. a great movie. when that, if, that, if that gets made, I'll tell you, that'll be a great movie. It's a real. You talk about Ball 4, I think this was more interesting, to tell you the truth, because... It was real and just great stuff. Yeah, we uh, we we. I think we let let uh, most of it hang out there. So well, uh, it was yeah. a lot of fun to do too. Well, thanks, Denny. I really appreciate that. Steve, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including X, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi reminding you. Vegas never sleeps. Vegas, here we go! If you're trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-537-3908-800-537-3908-800-537-3908-800-537-3908-800-537-3908-800-537-3908. Attention timeshare owners, call the timeshare exit hotline now. We can help you legally get out of your expensive timeshare contract. If you're fed up with the maintenance fees, Learn how you can terminate your timeshare legally and permanently. Call right now for your free consultation, 800-803-5449, 800-803-5449, 800-803-5449.
Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.